Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. Hi, this is Michael Jai White. You're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Each episode, we feature an unequaled guest lineup consisting of professional MMA fighters from the UFC and Bellator, Olympic martial arts medalists, professional boxers, world champion kickboxers, action cinema stars, and legends and icons of classical martial arts. I am very excited about today's show. Our guests will be Bellator and UFC fighter Jake Congo. Olympic Taekwondo medalist Mark Lopez, Marvel and DC comic artist Joe Delbiato, who has drawn Iron Fist, Chuck Norris Karate Commandos, Batman, Deadpool, and many more, and boxing former world heavyweight champion Ray Mercer. This week's inspirational quote is from Aristotle and goes as follows, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an action, but a habit. Aristotle, 385 to 323 BC. UFC fighter Chad Laprise will be conducting a seminar at Phoenix Performance Center in Mount Forest, Ontario, Canada on February 18th at 1 p.m. You can attend for only $50 and it goes from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Check out www.phoenixcenter.ca. That's phoenixcentre.ca for more info. Chake Congo is a French heavyweight mixed martial artist and kickboxer who fights in Bellator MMA currently and formerly had 18 fights in the UFC. He holds notable wins over the likes of Mirko Filipovic, LeVar Johnson, Sean Jordan, Matt Mitrione, Alexander Volkov, and Pat Berry. He is 41 years of age, 6 foot 4 inches, and 234 pounds. He has a fight record of over of 25 wins and 10 losses and he fights out of Paris, France. Sheikh will be fighting Ollie Thompson at Bellator 172, taking place February 18th in San Jose, California. Sheikh Congo, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Now, Sheikh, on Tapology.com, 96% of the votes suggested that you were going to be winning your next bout, and they were suggesting that you would win it by knockout. Why do you think you had such a popular vote? Oh, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no idea. The thing is, uh, I wish, you know, the, the thing will, uh, uh, will happen like that, you know, but uh, I never uh, push or predict, you know, the, the the scene of the fight. For sure, you know, I'll always be close, but uh, something super clear and, 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 uh, and sharp. Sure. But uh, I never uh, project myself to that situation. Does your fight preparation differ from fight to fight? Yes, always. So what I'm, what I mean, always. So the the, the base is is always to uh, to increase the the skills and be comfortable with the with with, with, the, with, with the, the struggle I can get in in the fight. And after that, I had the, the quality of my uh, the quality and all the troubles of my uh, opponent in my games. So like this, so like this, I will be aware from that. Were there any fighters that you looked up to or who were a source of inspiration for you as you were coming up the ranks as a professional mixed martial artist? I think, you know, like everybody, you know, I used to get uh, as a PBO as a probably Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, you know, uh, uh, with uh, Jackie Chan, uh, Marco Ruiz, Basquitem, you know. Those guys used to, uh, to make us dream you know, about the, about the sports, but also they used to scare us about the, the situation, about the issue of the sports. So, yeah. So, 
and also some video games, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, probably perfect to say you are uh, officially someone now. But those those guys, you know, uh, I just named, yeah, used to uh, to keep me uh, focused and motivated, you know, in, in the sport. Have you had to evolve or make any changes to your fighting skills or your methods and styles since you've come to Bellator? Uh, yeah. Rest a lot. I'm resting a lot now. I'm not going crazy with training. So uh, so now I, I spend my time to train at least uh, five hours a day. So that's good. Jake, you are a veteran of the sport so many different fight promotions over 15 years as a fighter. How do you want to be thought of now that you're fighting in Bellator? And how do you want to be remembered when you finished your career as a professional MMA fighter? I think just just just, just, just as a, a great fighter, you know. I, I don't want to be. I don't want. I don't want to be uh, remind just like uh, I don't know. Just you know, I just like to put a really good legacy. Just like you know what. In that spot, we used to get that freshman, and then eventually now we have a new freshman to give our organization. But uh, yeah, I just want to be be uh, be known that way. Be somebody good, you know, tough, tough as as they are, and uh, yeah, doing some good stuff no matter what. Never refuse the the fight and and give the best no matter what. Looking at your own fight style and your approach to your fights, how much of a part does strategy play versus fight IQ and just overall conditioning and training? How much of a part does strategy play for you? A lot. You know, I, I, we always have uh, game playing strategy in, uh, in the game, you know, and we try to uh, to make it work the best. So before to use. The right one, even if it goes uh, instantly, instantly, yeah, so instantly, uh, like a like a like like a, a short lightning. But uh, probably most of the time, you know, some of the the, the, the skiers probably twenty twenty came or sure just came and just say, okay, no, 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 and oh, this one is good. Let's try this one and bam, and it works. When it works, it works. Jake, your perspective on Ollie Thompson as a competitor in your approaching Bellator fight? You know what? He's a good guy. Uh, I really like him. But, uh, but uh, I, I hate him because he picked that fight. So, and uh, he, he, he's great. He, 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 he's generous. He got a big hair. Uh, he's a really strong. He's a beast. And uh, and yeah, he's a really good brother. So uh, I might give it up. Jake, you're now fighting for Bellator. It's broadcast on Spike Television. There's some great energy in those audiences. Great technical values for the fight promotion. Are you seeing noticeable differences between fighting for Bellator versus fighting for the UFC? No, I think you know. So we need the opportunity to. Uh, to uh, supporters, fans, and uh, public, to know the who's who, and also it gave us also the, the opportunity to uh, to be uh, to, to spread the brand, spread the brand, and spread ourselves to be to be known by anyone. Because for sure, you know, for some reason with uh, with UFC, people have to pay the pay per view. I mean, if they're making the the you know, the, 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 the free channels, but, you know, that's good for anyone. You have had a distinguished career fighting all over the world. Do you notice a difference between fighting opponents from Europe versus MMA fighters in North America? No, the, the difference is about, you know, the, the partner. You know, the, the, about the tank, you know, the, the, the fighter tank. He is, he is better. But uh, with the years, you know, the, the fighter thing used to improve everywhere in the world. Because now we don't need especially to go to Brazil to train to have a really good coach or going to the United States or anyone. So now everybody used to be allowed and aware about the sport. 
so everybody used to stop and uh, and create their own skills. So they always have somebody, you know, who can uh, leave the lake for some fighters to be great. You have also had a very rich foundation of martial arts, starting from your youth when you were training in savat and kendo and karate. How much of that comes to the surface today in your present-day martial arts style? So the, the good thing is, I know what is dedication. Some guys used to be dedicated, especially because they're suffering, you know, by the training, but they doesn't have the the I won't say the rigor because I don't I don't know how to say rigor in, in English. But okay, some guys here don't have the dedication of the sports about the rules, about the law, about the respect, you know. Because for some reason, people just want to give the respect because they're on the TV and stuff. But at the end, you know, they're still acting like an asshole. The thing is, about my, my, own, my own experience, I always respect no matter what my opponent. So I, I, I won't say anything. Uh, uh, we can uh, disgrace him or something like that because I don't have to talk like this, you know. And it would seem that you moved back and forth between kickboxing, Muay Thai, and MMA. What was the motivation for that? The thing is, I didn't move from uh, professional kickboxing to MMA. I moved from uh, MMA to Muay Thai. And, and, uh, and from Muay Thai to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to MMA. So that's something you can surprise people, but... That's what happened. I didn't came. I didn't came from uh, Muay Thai, but I came from MMA. Before to be to be known as a as a Muay Thai uh, artist, I was in MMA, and for sure at this time MMA wasn't allowed in in the country. I used to do uh, different fights in uh, in, uh, in in Holland, Russia, stuff like this, and none in uh, none in uh, France. And after that, when I used to use to carry so much injuries because uh, of my joints and stuff, I was like, okay, what I could do because uh, I'm not able to, to, uh, to perform very well as an MMA artist, I think uh, Muay Thai. And from, and from Muay Thai, after that, I used to be in struggle because uh, I was interested to go to uh, K1 twice. And after that, you know, I used to get the, one of my best friends used to introduce me with the uh, UFC. And uh, from that, I signed with them. And even before, because when I was doing uh, MMA before Muay Thai, I used to be contacted by, by UFC. But at this level, so when they came to me, I wasn't really familiar with English. Even, even when I came in, uh, I wasn't that true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at this time, when I came, I have more people around to, uh, to guide me in that way. Jake, this will be our wrap-up question, and I thank you for your time. On fight night, when you step into the cage and you're facing Ollie Thompson, where will your thoughts be? What will you be thinking about? Win. Easy. It's going to be win. I have to win. Not for people, for myself. For myself and, 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 and all the eyes you know, I got from the, from, from, the, from the Almighty. That's it. Shake Congo, thank you for your time, and we wish you the very best of success on Fight Night. No, no, you're welcome. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This has been an interview with Bellator and UFC fighter Shake Congo. This is UFC fighter Jason Sago. You are now listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. For those of you listening to Martial Arts World Radio while on your phones, tablets, or laptops, be sure to check out www. BobWallWorldBlackBelt.com That's BobWallWorldBlackBelt.com The world's foremost martial arts online community. Raymond Anthony Mercer, better known as Ray Mercer, born April 4th, 1961, is an American former professional boxer, kickboxer, and mixed martial artist. In boxing, he competed from 1989 to 2008 and held the WBO heavyweight title from 1991 to 1992. As an amateur, he won a gold medal in the heavyweight division at the 1988 Summer Olympics. As a mixed martial artist, Mercer is known for scoring an upset one-punch knockout victory over former UFC heavyweight champion Tim Silva in 2009. 
I had a quick conversation with Ray Mercer at the Action Martial Arts Hall of Honors Mega Weekend in Atlantic City last month. This is a remote interview from the expo floor. Please excuse the background noise. Ray Mercer, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. It's a great pleasure to be here, man, this morning. Boxer, kickboxer, MMA fighter. What was the influence? Where did it all begin? Well, I always wanted to do like the wrestling type thing like Muhammad Ali did when he fought a wrestler overseas. And I just wanted to do other things than just being a boxer. And they always say, you know, if you're an athlete, you can do anything. So I try to prove that. And you certainly have. Those people who influenced you in your life, those people who gave you motivation, are there any uh, mentors? Were there people who played that role in your start of your career? Uh, yeah, I, um, a couple of people in the Army I had is my sergeant. He let me go, you know, the platoon sergeant let me go, which is, his name was Robert Waddell. He said, let me go. He looked out for me to go to training then, you know, when I was in the Army. So I think about him every time I think about my career because without him it wouldn't happen. And in terms of looking over your fight career in, in various different competitions, is there a momentous occasion, something that stood out as a moment where you prize it or value it above others? Uh, yeah, when I uh, won the gold medal, man, it was, you know, it was amazing. It was, it was something that, you know, everybody dreamed of is fighting for their country. And, uh, you know, I was able to do that, so I think that's, that's the one. What are you doing these days to occupy your time? Uh, I'm just making doing events like this, and uh, I am the spokesman for kicking it uh, with the bullying campaign. Um, you know, we have the only the only school bullying school in the country, and uh, we're the first ones. And we want to make that we want to take that off because bullying now. I mean, for the kids, it's a, it's the biggest thing on the table right now. Now, did you have a preference in style between boxing, kickboxing, or MMA? Uh, prefer boxing. Uh, hate to get kicked, can't kick, and <laughs> I just got kicked. So, I boxing, yeah. And for kickboxing, was it Western kickboxing and Muay Thai that you were training, or were there other martial arts that you incorporated into your system? Muay Thai, definitely. Can you pick a fight that you would label as the hardest fight of your career, or were there many? Uh, there was a couple. Burt Cooper was fight of the year. You know, I spent two days in the hospital after that fight. I was dehydrated and uh, busting out in hives and everything. So I would say that was uh, my toughest fight right there. One of the things we try to do on the show is really impress upon our listeners, and specifically our young listeners, to lower their idea of limitations. That where they may think that they're limited, they can go so far beyond that. Now, as a boxer, I imagine you'd agree that you probably walked into that career and didn't realize you had way more capacity and potential than you ever realized until you started boxing. Uh, would you talk a little bit about that? Boxing did show me that uh, your limitations are, are as, as high as you want them to be or higher than you think. All you have to do, you have to, you have to get in there and you just got to go for it. And I had confidence in the boxing game to do just that in life. I can go, I, I, can, I can do anything that I want to do. Bullying prevention for kids is obviously near and dear to your heart. How long have you been involved with that organization? Five years, and uh, we're still kicking. We have, the, like I said, we have the only uh, bullying school in the country. And uh, Gina Marie, she's doing everything. We are doing everything we can to, uh, you know, to, to, to make it progress. And did you have some favorite fighters of your own who you looked up to as you were coming up in the fight game? Oh yeah, a lot of them, Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, all them guys, George Foreman, a lot, even the guys that I fought with, like Rick Bowe, uh, Lennox Lewis, uh, Tommy Morrison, all them guys, man, were great. Ray, really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us today. My final question, can you give some advice to our listeners about pursuing that championship belt, whether it's literally or figuratively in life? Well, you, have to, you just got to believe in yourself and, and just do the right thing, man. You can be anything that you want to be. Ray, what a privilege and a treat. Thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you. That was my short conversation with world champion fighter Ray Mercer. Now, while I was at the same event, I also had an opportunity to interview Marvel and DC comic book artist Joe Del Beato. Joe has drawn the martial arts superhero Iron Fist, as well as the Chuck Norris Karate Commando comics. He's also drawn Batman, Deadpool, Iron Man, G.I. Joe, The Avengers, and many other famous comic book characters. Joe Del Beato, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. It's so good to speak with you today. Thank you. It's good to be here. 
Now, you do work for both Marvel and DC, correct? Correct. I've been working at Marvel uh, since the 1980s and DC both. Worked on the G.I. Joe series, uh, Sector series, and a lot of the martial arts people were uh, great to hear the fact that I had done the uh, Chuck Norris and his Karate Commandos book back in the uh, late 80s when he had his own cartoon strip. I can remember buying and reading that comic. He used to have a Corvette and uh, it was uh, him, and then he had a sumo with him, a samurai, and then a couple kids. And I, I used to be my one of my books, too, at Marvel. Now, Joe, I see that you've done some work on Iron Man, Batman, Deadpool, some really great characters here, and I see Iron Fist over here. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, yeah, Iron Fist, well, he's kind of a fan favorite who's just now coming into his own. That's a character that's been around a long time at Marvel. Uh, now Netflix, Netflix excuse me, has gotten a hold of the property, and it's going to be part of the Daredevil uh, offshoots with the Punisher and uh, other shows. So it looks like that's going to be a really uh, well-received piece. Do you have a particular character that's your favorite to draw? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up on the Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff back when it was part of uh, Strange Tales. It was like a split book. And I was always fascinated because that was the time of the James Bond, Sean Connery time. And this was like, he was better than Bond because he had a helicarrier and he had a Porsche that flew. And it was just, I just always loved the art style like uh, by Jim Steranko and a lot of trendsetters that did the book. So that's a cool character. So, Joe, how do you feel about these movie adaptations of our favorite classic comic book characters that are so popular today? Oh, you mean like the Avengers and all that? Yeah, I'm glad to see it. I remember back in the days when they did Batman with the Bam Crash, the Adam West stuff and all. So it's come a really a long way. I mean, now, you know, it's a multi-million dollar industry, and they're putting a lot into it. And um, all in all, it's been good. It's been well-received, and um, it's better than watching the uh, that kind of... Uh, um, you know, stuff that was just like basically put together on a shoestring budget. I mean, that has its campy spot too, don't get me wrong. I love watching that stuff every once in a while too. But it's also good to be able to see something with the budget of a Star Wars and have these heroes come to life now. It's really convincing. It's realistic. And of course, they all follow martial arts to some extent. All these actors have to get trained in it or, you know, trained with, you know, um, martial artists. So it's good to see that too, you know? It's like um, it's brought the whole uh, thing back out of focus again. When you're drawing martial art characters such as Iron Fist or other characters, how are you modeling it? Are you taking a look at images or do you have live action models? Um, well, yeah, well, I have like uh, G.I. Joe's that I compose or there's different uh, film books you can go through and all. It's a, it's a series of different concepts. Um, you know, just whatever's going through my mind at the time, try to research it and come up with the right answer for the problem. And Joe, in terms of, and I'm going to get really deep here, you know, comic books have been around for a really long time, and I really believe that a lot of our, uh, we can thank comic books for a lot of our literacy, especially in young men, young boys who might have found it challenging and boring to read chapter books in school, and yet they use comic books to learn how to read. So do you think in its own little way comic books is helping to heal the world? In a great big way, I think. You know, it started out even with Classics Illustrated. I remember as a kid, 15 cents would get you a Hamlet illustrated in comic book format, and uh, it's better than reading Cliff Notes. You know, so no, I think comics have really helped draw interest. I also teach locally uh, at the different libraries, underprivileged children, how to draw comic book art. My course is geared totally to comic book art and not any other stuff. And that's really opened them up to learning how to read and how to interpret and understand the closeness between the picture and the word relationship. So it's really opened a lot of doors for them. You know, Joe, obviously this is a, you know, what I'd refer to as a God-given gift. This is a talent that was inherent in you. Is it a dream come true to be an artist in comic books? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Especially the uh, comic book aspect of it. Uh, it's a very closed industry. It's very hard to get into it because it's very demanding. Um, the thing is, with comic book artists, you really don't have to have any kind of real degree or anything like that on paper, although I guess it would help. However... If they like what you got in your portfolio, you know, you can rule the world pretty much. The thing is, back when I was coming up, there wasn't as much attention paid to the ownerships of the different characters and all that. So, you know, que sera, sera. Yeah, it's a great business. I mean, and I encourage 
others that I teach and all to pursue it. I mean, they can make a living at it, and, it, and it's a very worthwhile, fulfilling industry. You know, and it's always cool to see a good fight, whether it's on paper or on the TV screen. Joe, thanks so much for talking to us today, and congratulations on a really interesting and wonderful career. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You have been listening to my interview with Marvel and DC comic book artist Joe Delbiato. Hi, I'm Don the Dragon Wilson, and you're listening to Joseph Clark at Martial Arts World Radio. UFC fighter Chad Laprise will be conducting a seminar at Phoenix Performance Center in Mount Forest, Ontario, Canada on February 18th at 1 p.m. You can attend for only $50, and it goes from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Check out www.phoenixcenter.ca. That's phoenixcentre.ca for more information. The Lopez family is an Olympic martial arts success story. Siblings Stephen, Mark, and Diana each competed in the Beijing Olympics in 2008, resulting in each of them bringing home a medal in Taekwondo. It's an accomplishment which had only occurred once before, way back in 1904, when the Trishler brothers qualified for the U.S. US gymnastics team. But unlike the Trishler brothers, the Lopez family also brought two bronze medals and one silver medal. Mark Lopez has held countless international amateur titles and counts amongst his accomplishments in Taekwondo one Olympic silver, four world championship medals including gold after defeating Korea at Madrid in 2005. He's also earned medals in the Pan Am Championships, World University Championships, and Junior World Championships. Mark, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. Mark, at what age did you begin training in martial arts? As far back as I can remember, but uh, I guess the official age would be five years old. And was that Taekwondo? Yes, yes, I, I did Taekwondo. Um, my two older brothers uh, started before me, so um, by the time I came of age to be able to kick and punch, uh, that's when I started in, in the, the martial arts of Taekwondo. Did you train in any other disciplines, or were you exclusively focused on Taekwondo? No, we mainly uh, focused on Taekwondo, um, you know, just for fun. We would uh, do a little grappling here and there, um, but really, in, in reality, Taekwondo is our, our main focus. Were your brothers the primary motivation for getting into Taekwondo, or was there something else? Like I said, I, I started uh, as early as I started school, so, uh, you know, at that age, you really don't really think about it. You just go with the flow and, and do what your parents and your your older siblings are, are doing or telling you to do. So at that time, like I said, I was just going with the flow. But at the years, as the years went by, and I actually understood what was going on, and I started winning tournaments, and I was having fun and doing things um, like kicking and punching that I wasn't supposed to be doing at school, which I enjoyed, and it was a lot of fun. So I did it because I love to compete, and uh, I, I love to kick and punch. At what age did you enter competition? Right at five. At five years old, I started competing at local tournaments. And at that time, Taekwondo, um, I guess, was more known as, as karate. That's how the Taekwondo school I went to uh, promoted itself. So sometimes I would go to karate tournaments as opposed to Taekwondo tournaments where you're allowed to punch in the face and those uh, point, point systems, um, you know, where they raise the flags. Uh, but then as Taekwondo evolved into the Olympics, we started doing more um, three rounds, three minutes type of competitions uh, to what it is today. Was there much of an adjustment, Mark, when you were competing in karate tournaments as a Taekwondo practitioner? No, not really. The basic premise of to work on on distance and use a distance against your opponent uh, pretty much applied not only Taekwondo, but it transitioned pretty easily into karate. Um, You know, karate is very similar to Taekwondo, so uh, I didn't find it difficult um, to to shift between the two. Now, I, that was a long time ago. I'm not sure if the same could be true or, or applied in this day and age. Um, but, you know, when, when I was doing it a long time ago, it was pretty uh, a seamless change. Mark, as you know, karate is now an official Olympic sport and will be featured in the, in the 2020 Olympics. Uh, Taekwondo has been an Olympic sport for some time. There were some who said we didn't need karate because we already had Taekwondo and the two were so similar. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I, th- I think it's uh, it's always great to to add more martial arts um, disciplines to 
to the Olympic Games, any other martial arts, whether it be similar to Taekwondo or not, is, is a great thing for sports in general. We need more sports like karate and Taekwondo and Judo at, in the Olympic Games to, to really amplify what sports is all about, which is showing respect to your opponents, showing respect to others, um, you know, things that good parents try to instill in their children. So although karate may be similar to Taekwondo, I, I applaud and, and I'm happy that it's in the Olympics as well, and I hope they're successful. Mark, would you please walk us through your story and experience uh, competing and qualifying for the Olympic team? Sure, sure. Um, well, as I said, I started Taekwondo at five, and uh, I didn't make my national team till I was 17 years old. You know, my brother made his first Olympic team in, in 2000, uh, and I was able to witness him winning his Olympic gold medal in Sydney. Uh, so at that point, I told myself, one day I'll, I'll be there with my brother, and uh, I... I in my in my mind, I was going to be there in 2004, uh, but unfortunately, my weight class wasn't picked, so I wasn't able to go in 2004. So, you know, I've been training my whole life for a while, and uh, you know, finally, I had my opportunity in 2008, and um, you know, having to overcome loss after loss, um, you know, over the over the years between 2000 and 2008, uh, it was a huge victory for me to make the Olympic team. Uh, not only for myself, but being able to make the Olympic team with my brother Stephen uh, and my sister Diana and my brother Gene as our coach, um, that in itself was a, a dream come true, and we're super excited. And, and I was just proud of, of my family and myself and, and honored that I was able to get the opportunity to represent the uh, greatest country in the world at the Olympic Games. Gosh, I have goosebumps, Mark. I mean, what a story to have the entire family involved and your sister involved as well and your older brother coaching. I'm sure there's other families that were competing simultaneously in the Olympic Games, but what a story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did our research and, uh, you know, I, I, I like to understand. I mean, again, uh, the reason why I think we've been successful or, or I've been successful as well is because we love to compete and, uh, not only in Taekwondo, but all all aspects of life. When we all made the Olympic team together, you know, we, we looked up who else, what other families or siblings have made Olympic team together. And, of course, there's a lot of uh, two-member two sibling teams and and uh, over time. Um, but I think only once before have, have there been three at the same time, and that, that was back in 1904, I believe. Uh, three brothers from Missouri in the sport of gymnastics uh, did it. Um, but we actually had four because my brother Gene was the coach, and uh, not only that, but we actually ended up meddling, all of us, and uh, those those brothers didn't meddle. So so we won in that aspect, I guess, and uh, that's another thing that, that made us super proud. Your parents must be very proud as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's another motiv- motivational uh, fact, motivating factor for us. Uh, my dad was a huge fan of, of Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Um, he grew up in Nicaragua and um didn't have the means to to participate in in a martial arts taekwondo school that we're familiar with and uh, really really didn't have the atmosphere or environment to maximize his potential uh so i guess he lived vicariously through us and made sure he was able to provide us the tools and and opportunities necessary for us to shine he worked overtime and uh, did everything he could to build up the resources for us to travel around the country and compete at every tournament he could take us to. When he saw all of his sacrifices and all his hard work come out as productive as it has, um, you know, just made him and my mom super happy. And uh, we're blessed and, and we're happy that we can make them happy. So, Mark, as you're telling me this story, what I'm envisioning is your dad's got all of you huddled on a Saturday morning around the TV with the VCR, and he's playing Enter the Dragon or the scene with Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee fighting at the Roman Coliseum, and he's pausing it and saying, look at the distance between them, check out this move, and, <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, those, that was our Saturday mornings, um, watching those movies, and then, you know, as we got older, Jean-Claude Van Damme was the guy to watch, so we watched Bloodsport, best, you know, Best of the Best, all those all, all those uh, classic movies. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what we watched a lot, and we did as a family together. We enjoyed it, so it was, uh, it was a perfect storm. Um, you know, a lot of families have a difficult time just to get to, together for dinner or for lunch or just to have a conversation. My dad um, 
was able to do that uh, with a, a huge help from my oldest brother, Gene, who acted kind of like our second father. My brother Gene is the instrumental piece in, in it all. He was our leader and uh, the one that really made the magic happen. Mark, would you share with us your own personal Olympic experience, meddling and competing, and just anything you wish to share about that? Sure, sure. So uh, today I woke up around 168, um, so I I fluctuate between 168 and 170 naturally. Uh, For the Olympic Games, I had to to weigh in at 150 pounds. So for me, um, that was my greatest obstacle, uh, was to make that weight class. Um, So as you can imagine, I had to work out extra hard and um, eat extra little just to make that weight class. Um, the last day, uh, I had to lose about seven pounds, so I had to lose water weight. I had to go in the sauna and uh, shed those pounds. Um, so that was probably the hardest part for me, uh, being in that situation You know, in there. I'm thinking to myself, man, why am I doing this? But I always told myself, you know, Mark, this is a, a small sacrifice for a huge gain. So just power through it um, and and just do it. So I, I made my weight, uh, you know, drank all the fluids back, ate, uh, you know, what I could. And um, I had a huge day the next day because you weigh in the day before. Uh, my first match was against Afghanistan. Um, and this guy was about three inches taller than me. Um, and I was a little worried because when my brother competed in Greece, he had Iraq first match, and when he came out, the whole crowd booed booed him uh, right when they announced his name and, and said the United States of America. So I was a little worried that that was going to happen to me, but fortunately it didn't. Um, so at my first match, um, first round of my first match, Afghanistan threw a, a roundhouse kick, uh, but the way he threw it was kind of weird because, you know, usually if you throw a roundhouse kick, you're going to block with your forearm, but he kicked as if he was punting a football, and uh, so I, I blocked the kick with my fist, and um, as a result, I felt a sharp pain in my hand. And usually I never feel pain when I'm, I'm competing because the adrenaline rush, and you're just not even focused on that, but I felt that, so I was thinking to myself, oh, man, that something's, something's off. So after the first round, I go back in the, in the coach's chair. My, bo- my brother hands me a bottle of water, and I was going to reach with my left, but I noticed my left hand was shaking, you know, radically. So I took it with my right. I ended up winning the match miraculously. And um, after I told my brother, hey, Gene, something's wrong with my hand. So we went to the doctor, and the doctor touched it real quick, and he said, yeah, it's broken. So I was like, oh, great. Worked all this way, and I sacrificed so much just to uh, start my match or my day with a broken hand. You know, I told myself... You know, you worked your whole life for this moment, suck it up, you know, wrap it up and uh, go out there. So they gave me a shot, kind of masked the pain a little bit, and uh, I made sure not to let any of my opponents know that I was hurt. Um, So my next match was against Peru, and uh, it happened to be uh, one of the people that we trained with in Houston. His name is Peter Lopez. Uh, So it was kind of awkward finding my friend at the Olympic Games, but kind of cool at the same time. Uh, But I ended up beating him. And then I fought Germany next match, and um, I beat him, um, so I made it to the finals. Um, And during those matches, I was noticing that I was getting hit more often than not, and I was telling myself, what's going on? In my mind, I didn't think the hand was bothering me, but after video review, you know, the next couple of days, I noticed that I was moving my left hand out of the way to protect it and allowing myself to get hit. So subconsciously, I was protecting my hand. Um, anyways, the last match was against Korea. As all Taekwondo people know, Korea's uh, where it originated, and they usually have been the strongest of all as far as competition. And uh, so it was going to be a, a tough match for me. He was, uh, I believe, the current world champion in the band and weight division. But uh, I was very confident and uh, and felt in my heart and my mind that I was going to win that gold medal. I'll just jump to the end, uh, you know, with about 10 seconds left, it was a tied match, uh, you know, we're exchanging kicks here and there, and uh, he kicks with a roundhouse kick to my backside, and I counter with a defensive roundhouse kick, and uh, I felt like I scored the the, mat, the point, uh, but, I went, but I, when I looked at the scoreboard, his point comes up, and mine doesn't, 
Um, and if you look at the video replay, I mean, you could tell that I, I touched his chest fixer and he didn't really hit mine. But they gave him the points, and I lost the match uh, in the last 10 seconds. And, uh, of course, I was I was very upset. And um, as they called my name to uh, get my medal, I stood on the first place podium for a couple of seconds, you know, just to feel how it would be to be on the first place stand. But anyways, I ended up getting on the on my side of the podium. And uh, as they put the medal around my head <clears throat> or my neck, I was still upset and, and um, disappointed because in my mind I was going to win that gold medal. But I took a moment and uh, told myself, listen, Mark, you're at the Olympic Games. Your friends and family are here watching you. You worked your whole life for this moment, and you won a silver medal at the Olympic Games. So be ha happy, be grateful, and uh, and thank God for the opportunity he's given you, and smile. So that's what I did. I raised up my head, and I smiled, and looked at that silver medal, and I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life, and um, and that was it. Mark, I got to tell you, you're a class act, and I believe you did the right thing, and how you handled that situation, you should get a gold medal for, let alone the fact that it sounds like you really felt that you, in your heart, that you won. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I did. <clears throat> I did. That's something that my brother Gene and my family and, and I tell myself, that um, as long as you feel you've given a gold medal performance, keep your head up. Keep your head up and walk up with pride and, and that's all you can ask yourself for. Let's talk about this one a little further, okay? Because you're representing your country. You feel there's been an injustice and that the judges have made a bad decision. But all of the people watching who are educated on the sport, who saw the, the, uh, the actual competition, all of your friends, all of your colleagues, your family who are there supporting you, they all know the truth. They all know that you won. You're up there on the podium in front of the world representing your country and you choose to do the right thing because obviously at that point in time crying sour grapes is not going to be the right thing to do and it's not going to it's not going to represent you well it's not going to represent the country very well it's just going to reflect poorly on on all of the above so i think just the way you handled that you earned double points right there yes sir thank you yeah you know and again that's what separates uh, us martial artists from other athletes in other sports, um, it's instilled in you to to you know have self control and show respect and um, and that's the least I can do for for my family and my country and, and the martial art itself. And um, yeah, like like you said, it doesn't help anybody if uh, I'm going to be there with a, a negative attitude and. You know, in my mind at that point, I was like, all right, keep your head up and uh, let's train harder to, to avoid any type of situation like this happening again. And, and I know, you know, it's, it's humans are going to make mistakes and, um, you know, that, that things like that have happened in my favor in the past. So you can't really dwell on that too much. And, and like I said, you just have to train harder and, and work harder. So instead of scoring just one point, you score two or three or four points. In, in order to just get two points and to avoid that from happening. So that's the way we train. We train to overcome any obstacle, including uh, bad judging or bad refereeing, and, and that's the way you you assure yourself a win and, and not make any excuses. Mark, what are you spending your time doing now? Well, I've been working for the past five years, or almost six years now, as a certified financial planner at, at UBS uh, Financial Services. Um, so my last competition was January uh, of last year uh, when I competed at the Olympic team trials. Um, so uh, right now, uh, my brother Steven is still competing. So you know, whenever he needs help, I uh, spar with him or just hold heavy shield for him or, or whatever he needs. So I'm there to help him out. Um, not sure when, if I'm going to compete again uh, this year or, or ever again. Uh, so as far as being active, I'm not too active um, as I've, I've been in the past. Mark, are there days where you take a look at that medal and it lifts your spirits or it gets you through a bad day? Um, no, not really. Um, you know, I, I get asked to, to do you know, speaking engagements on, on sometimes or I have a client that wants to uh, see an Olympic medal. And um, I get to tell 
the story over and over again, like I'm doing today, like I'm doing with you. And uh, at that point, I remind myself of what I've accomplished and uh, relive the moment, and um, it just makes me happy. And um, I, what also makes me really happy is when I'm able to inspire people and, and make them feel proud uh, of of me and what I've done for the U.S. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, every time I pull it out, yeah, it brings a smile to my face, and, and uh, it brings a smile to my face when other people are, are happy about it. Mark, as I understand it, though, you had a similar experience in the World Championships. Would you tell us about that? And rest assured to the listening audience, it does have a happy ending. In the 2003 uh, World Championships, uh, I was in a similar situation. I was in the finals uh, against, again, Korea. And at that time, my brother Stephen was the only American to ever win uh, a gold medal at the World Championships for the United States. Um, and in the first round, I uh, the Korean threw a back kick, and I threw a roundhouse kick under the back kick, and and hit him square in the jaw. Uh, he went down and and couldn't get up. Um, at that time, the referee told me to step aside, and he was giving the Korean an A count. <clears throat> but then he he calls medical over, and. Um, at that time, if if you delay the match more than a minute, the the fight is over, and it was well past a minute. But the referee gave him more time, um, and then after a while, after he gives the guy you know time to recuperate, he looks at me and gives me a full point off uh, for supposedly I kicked him on the ground. Uh, anyway, I, I thought at that point I was going to win the match, but and totally ended up being opposite situation result. And I ended up losing the match by a point, I think. Um, so at that point, that was probably the worst thing that has ever happened to me at such a prestigious competition. Uh, and that situation was worse than the Olympics. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> that At that moment, uh, I was like, man, this, this is crazy. Um, but, you know, you're disappointed. For me, I was disappointed for that day and maybe a couple of days after that. But knowing that I was so close, um, again, I, I tell myself, hey, listen, keep your head up, man. Be proud of what you did. Um, you know you know in your heart you won. Go back out there, train harder, and, and, and you'll get the results. And it happened to be two years later at the World Championships in 2005, I had Korea in the finals again, but this time I was victorious and I won the uh, the elusive world championships and I became only the second uh, American to ever win uh, a world championship gold medal and no other American to this day has accomplished that feat besides my brother Stephen and I. Mark, well deserved, well played, and it, it would just seem that with these international competitions and sport martial arts. Ah, there's so many different aspects and variables that do come into play. Politics are always going to be in play. There's going to be variables you can't control. Uh, what you have to focus on, on is what you can control and do everything you can to, to make the probability of you being victorious or successful that much higher. So that's what you need to focus on, and, and that's what you should be happy or upset about. If If I didn't train hard enough and I lost because I didn't do my best, then... I'm going to be even more upset and disappointed with myself and only blame myself. So that's that's the way you got to look at life. You can either look at it in a positive way or a negative way, and I, ch- I choose to look at it in a positive way. Mark, there's much that we can take away from this interview with you today. I know for myself what I'm going to take away is your statement. If you put on a gold medal performance, you can hold your head up. Let's remember that. But my very best to you and your family, and congratulations. You all have very much to be proud of, and we thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks, sir. I appreciate it, and uh, thank you for letting me uh, tell my story. And uh, good luck to all the listeners out there, and uh, keep your head up and work hard and sacrifice, and at the end of the day, you will get what you, you achieve for. This has been my interview with Olympic Taekwondo medalist Mark Lopez. Upcoming guests for our future episodes of Martial Arts World Radio include Christine Bannon-Rodriguez, karate champion and Forms 
weapons, and fighting. In fact, she won first place in all three at the same competition, twice in a row. We also have martial artists better known as a professional entertainment wrestler, Ernest the Cat Miller. Orlando Rivera, world champion kickboxer, will be joining us, along with another interview with world champion Cynthia Rothrock and also celebrity martial artist and very accomplished martial artist Michael Jai White and the UFC's Chad Laprise. These are all interviews that are going to be taking place in approaching episodes of Martial Arts World Radio. In the last recent interviews, we've had Dan Severn, Sasha Mitchell, Gary Alexander, Shawnee Carter, and of course, and Carrie Hirayuki Tagawa, and of course, today's guests. We've also had Chuck Zito, by the way. We've had some great guests this past year, and it's just getting even better every episode. Be sure to tune in. So, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, and YouTube Live for live video streams from our studio, or of course, You can listen by live streaming at www.mawradio.com. Choose Listen Now at our website, and that will bring up a listing of any of the FM broadcast stations where you can catch us, the times on their schedules. Also, if you wish to download or stream us, you can do so at iHeart, at TuneIn, uh, iTunes, and We also have a free app at the App Store for iPhones and iPods in which you can download it and you can listen to us 24-7. We do have a 24-7 channel that you can listen to on Apple TV and at TuneIn as well. So thanks for listening. Martial Arts World Radio is distributed worldwide on a network which includes broadcast stations, internet radio stations, podcast platforms, listen-on-demand channels, and social networks. If you would like to add your station to our network of over 60 affiliates worldwide, or if you wish to sponsor the show, reach out to me by email at producer at mawradio.com. Be sure to check us out at www.mawradio.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by following Martial Arts World Radio. I'm Joseph Clark. Until next time, wishing you safe travels. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.